0: morning, sort of a rainy weekend, sort of makes a person sleepy, I'm glad to see some of you have your coffees, but I want to talk to you in part one of our new sermon series that will go throughout October, how to improve your marriage without saying a word. I know it sounds like it would be impossible to do, but it's really not. And I think by experience, we could all agree that sometimes in our marriages, talking has done more harm than good. The more you talk, the worse it gets. You say something intending to mean a specific thing, but it is interpreted by the other party in a completely different way and can often spin out of control and I see so many smiles on everybody's face because you know God made us in many ways the similar in the way we are yet God made us different but we all have those battles of communication. So for me this series is important because I do believe you can improve your marriage without saying a word there's a time not to talk we all know that talk can be cheap we say things often that we intend but we don't follow through we make promises that we break that we don't mean to break and and we can be reminded of all of those things over and over again in our own lives but just in case you're here and you think well this really isn't going to apply to me for the next three weeks following today. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter if you are single. It doesn't matter if you are divorced. It doesn't matter if you are in a good marriage. It doesn't matter if you're in a bad marriage. The truth that comes from God's Word shares on a lot of different levels and the principles that we're going to see in God's Word applies to every relationship. Whether married, whether divorced. If it's a good marriage, it could be a great marriage. And if it's a bad marriage, it could be a good marriage. And like I said, most of us that are married were single at one time. And some of us may be even wishing we were still single. I'll never forget the wedding device from this elderly lady. Her granddaughter just couldn't find her self-esteem in herself and wanted to be married. I need somebody. And she said to her, it's better to be home alone than to be home wishing you were alone. You know what I mean? And she's right. So this series applies to everyone. And while it is targeted for married couples, it applies to you. But I want to set this one truth out as we move forward and that's to say to you if it is outside of God's word then it is outside of God's will and if it's outside of God's will there is no blessing in the activity and that is true in absolutely Every relationship, if we are living in a way, doing something that's outside of God's word, then it's outside of God's will, and if it's outside of God's will, it's not going to be blessed. Now, the fact is, most people want good relationships. They want good relationships with moms and dads, grandparents, They're brothers and sisters, especially in marriage. We want good relationships. We want them to be successful. And yet, so often, we don't live out the spiritual principles in God's Word to allow those relationships to thrive. And so, this morning, especially to the single. Don't feel like a second-class citizen. If you're single, don't feel like something is wrong with you. I, I hear that a lot. Usually as we do the annual Celebrating Love and Marriage, okay, you're doing something else for those couple that are married. What about us people out here that are single? Well, the fact is, I just want to say, biblically speaking, There is a blessing, a spiritual giftedness from God for many who are single. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows... It is better to stay unmarried just as I am. Paul, in his own life, said, God has given me a gift. I am single. I like being single. And in that way, I can give more of myself in unique ways to God that I couldn't in other ways if I was married. But this idea that if you are a widow or if you are single... And if you can't control yourselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Do you see what God starts to bring out through the Scripture, especially as you look at relationships, marriage or being single or being a widower or a widow? Everything is from the perspective of faithfulness to God. Your faithfulness to God. If you have the gift from God that I'm happy being single. I don't need to be married. I don't want to be married. I'm good with that. Praise God. But most people don't seem to fit that pattern. We find out in the beginning of the creation of mankind that it's not good for man to be alone. And God makes a helper suitable for him. We're going to look at that text in just a moment. But everything that you see In relationship, the spiritual principle is all in an effort on your part as a Christian man, woman, to be faithful and God-honoring in all that you do and in every relationship. And so that's what Paul says. And so we decide to get married, many of us. I want to look at one more passage before we get to the heart of our text where the writer in Hebrews chapter 13 talks about the way that marriage should be viewed. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually Immoral. Now, the fact is, in Scripture, sexual relationship is created by God and is between a husband and a wife. And anything other than that is outside of God's will, like it or not. Anything other than that is outside of God's will. And like we said, if it's outside of God's will, it's not going to be blessed. Because we are people, Christians, that are looking to the Lord to tell us what is right and what is wrong, what is truth. We don't look to Hollywood to tell us what is truth. We look to God to tell us what is the truth. Not our truth. Not her truth, not his truth, the truth. Because the truth is so often very different than my truth, your truth, his or her truth. But marriage and the marriage bed and the sexual union that takes place between a man and woman is to be honored. And pornography, fornication, living together, having sexual relationships is not in God's Word, so it's outside of God's will. And because it's outside of God's will, it will not receive God's blessing. You may go on for a time, but it will never be blessed the way it would if you pursued God's Word in your marriage. And ultimately, ultimately, someday, it will face, you will face the wrath of God. Now, I know Hollywood says something completely different. They do something completely different. But how many of those marriages do you see last? And the church can't say much more. Divorce rates so high, but we don't do things God's way. And so look at this in Genesis 1, and I'll make my points of spiritual principle. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Now, the the first thing that we can see is that God created mankind in His image. And that mankind is to rule over the beasts of the field, nature, animals specifically. But God created man and woman. God created male and female. God is the creator of the sexes. We live in a society that talks about all the time gender neutrality. That there's not a difference between the sexes. It's all environmental programming. But that is a lie. That is not in God's word. What is in God's word, what is in God's will, is that He, God, created them male and female. And we are different. As I joked a little bit last week, we're different and we all know it. Just at the level of The plumbing, we're different. Anatomically, we're different. It's true. It's got nothing to do with environmental programming. It has everything to do with the creator of heaven and earth creating mankind, male and female, and it starts with the plumbing. Now, there is all kinds of surveys that talk about the differences in gender. All kinds. And I think maybe you can read through those things and go, that's true in many cases, and this is true in some cases, and and there seems to be one that just sort of surfaces more in the difference emotionally, in the way men, the way women think, but, you know, there's always a lot of exceptions. It's just man-made surveys by psychologists and psychiatrists. But they'll talk about a a woman can be much more uh, interpreting things by the way she feels. And a man interprets things more by facts. And they even use the word logic. Logic. But we know that a man's not more logical than a woman or is a woman more feeling than a man. But there seems to be a sense overall that while we have both those things, feelings and facts and logic, that at least psychologists, so you can't attack me, say that a woman interprets things by how she feels. And a man interprets things by logic and by facts and we process it. There's the joke that a woman will remember every word you said to the letter in a discussion or an argument. And it is man's nature to basically say, I hear you. I'm sorry. Can we be done with the conversation? That's the way there's, you know, it's. But do you know why they attribute that to women remembering every detail? Whether it's true or false, scientists say there's a part of the brain called the hippocampus that is a bigger portion of the brain that stores all the memories for those kinds of conversations. So the reason that women remember every word, according to a lot of research, is their brains are bigger. So, husbands and ladies, we got small brains. Give us a break. (laughs) So, like I said, all of that you've got to take with a grain of salt, but there's probably, it's it's like gender-neutral daycares, where they give out these blocks that are you know just basic colors not blue not pink and they'll do studies and show how the boys start building cities with the blocks and throwing them at each other like weapons and the girls will by nature just cuddle those blocks and pretend to be feeding them and doing things like that that's more nurturing and take it with a grain of salt but I think most of us have experienced enough life that we realize there's a difference between a male and a female. You can definitely see that physically, men normally physically are stronger, bigger than women. That's why out of all the professional football players that you see on TV... Army We've all been to football games, basketball games or a baseball game. Those guys are massive. There's no way a woman would be able to play without being hurt severely in the National Football League. Simply put, God created. Male and female. God created the genders. And in that creation, we all know that there's a difference. Oh, there's so many similarities. But there are some major differences. And we're living in a world, especially if you have young children, you're living in a world Where the world is telling you there's no difference. Now, the point here is while we are different in many ways, there are ways that we are similar to, has nothing to do with equality. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your social economic status. We are all equal before God. We are all valued before God because all are created in the image of God. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. When a person comes to Christ and finds salvation in Christ, we're equal. We are equal, made in the image of God, equal in salvation. But Genesis 2, we see the problem. During the creation, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I've left out verses 19 and 20 that continues to elaborate the problem. But by verse 21, God solves the problem. But I want us to see as we work through this idea of improving your marriage without saying a word, here for the husband and wife that God has created in his image that God saw that man was alone. Adam was alone and there was no suitable partner or mate so God will cause Adam to fall into a sleep and will take a rib bone from Adam and create Eve and then God will walk Eve into the presence of Adam but this word helper is a Hebrew word that means helpmate, partner with. And it is not a word to mean weaker or less or not equal. It is a word that gives high status and calling to Eve or the wife in this situation. Throughout Scripture, God is called using this word, our helper. Helper in times of trouble. God created a man and a woman. God created marriage. Marriage is to be honored. It is a holy institution. Marriage is is a sacred creation most marriage license in my time period holy matrimony no more it's not on there and i sign marriage license all the time it's it's gone used to be that marriage was honored God's way, sacred, holy, set apart, and honored. Because when the wedding license was signed, it would have groom, bride, or husband, and wife, and they would sign, and their witnesses would sign, and the minister would sign. Not anymore. That's gone. Now it is simply spouse. Spouse. The Lord said it's not good for man to be alone and I will create a helper that's suitable for him that will be by his side. That is the imagery of the rib bone being taken from Adam while he's asleep. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We'll see that as this verse ends in just a moment. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man. And he brought her to the man. Rib comes from your side. God creates Eve, creates woman. From that rib bone taken from man's side. And then God himself, the heavenly father, walks Eve down the marriage aisle into the presence of Adam. And he gives away the bride. And the bride stands beside her groom. And they help each other in life. They help each other in hard times, difficult times. We say in wedding ceremonies, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And yet, we live in a culture of an increasing 50% and higher divorce rate even in the church. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man, it says leave, but the Hebrew word is forsake. It's a a stronger word, forsake. It means the same, leave, but, but forsake gives you a little bit more seriousness to what's happening in these marriage vows and covenants that are being formed for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. God takes the one, Adam, and makes two, Eve. Then God takes the two and makes them one. The two will become one flesh, This June 9th, not 10th, the 9th, 35 years of marriage. And if you put the five years of dating through high school, almost 40. I sit here and think, wow, 35 years of marriage, that's great. And then I look back here at Dave and Doris Zayer, 64 years of marriage. And they look at you and said, that's not long enough. Church, what I want us to see here is whenever you get married, that covenant you are saying to one another, and yes, even God, because it's in God's word that I am, we are, turning our back in some senses and walking away from people, family... Now, just let me go with this. That's been a very important part of our lives, our moms and dads. And in the forsaking or leaving the mom and dad we are saying that you husband you wife are more important to me than any other relationship i have and do you hear me on that you've had important relationships you've been close with mom and dad brothers and sisters but on the day that you say, I do, I will, you are vowing in those ceremonial words that He comes before everything. She becomes, comes before any other. And both are humbled. Under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you see so often that out of this not being followed and obeyed comes wrath and cursing and destruction and anger. Where are we going to spend Christmas? That moms are, you know, my mom likes Christmas. Wouldn't be Christmas without, without me being there? Or parents and everybody starts getting in the middle of the relationship and because we've not got in our minds, he comes first, she comes first, whatever we work out, that's the way it is. We don't want to hurt anybody else's feelings, but we as a couple, we've got to make the determination. And anybody tries to make us feel guilty, we're just not having any of it. Not having any of it. And we all fell in this area and struggled throughout our lives. But there's nobody I know in my life that I love more than my wife. Someone might say, What about your kids? Well, I I love my kids. Yeah, it's a different kind of love, yes. But I love my wife most. Most. Because I, according to God's will, have left everything to say, it's you. And yes, we feel that. We all let each other down. And in marriages, I see all the time being reminded of the failures, thinking you might have got through a failure only to be reminded as it's brought up again and again and again and trying to change the person to be what you want them to be as if you can argue them into being what you would want them to be do what you would want to do so God is the creator of the covenant of marriage he is the creator of the man and woman that make up the marriage and he is the creator of the parameters of marriage and whenever we live outside of those parameters and without outside of the spiritual truths we have the biggest problems and things go so long and so many years and faster 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 uh, Andrew and Jen, where are you guys at? Oh, you guys are downstairs working with our youth. Just married Andrew and Jen, Yoli and Young. I don't see them today. They're in Vietnam, that's right. I see young couples all the time come in for premarital counseling. And like I've told you before, we've got premarital counseling so backwards. Premarital counseling is to see, should we get married? Make sense? But premarital counseling for most is just a formality. We're going to go through it and you're going to marry us. We've got it wrong. James Dobson was right 20 years ago. We spend 100 hours getting ready for the wedding and about three hours on average getting ready for marriage. And we wonder why we have problems. We wonder why our marriages aren't kingdom marriages. I see young couples all the time. They come in, eyes are sparkling. Big smiles on their faces. Holding hands as they're sitting there in the chair beside each other. In love. Going to the altar. Going to get married. And I always ask in premarital counseling, tell me what was the best thing you saw... In your parents' marital relationship? How is their marriage? And most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, mom and dad have become, at best, good roommates, and at worst, bad roommates. That's sad. It is sad with the people of God in the church. Marriages mimic the marriages that are in the world. Why is that? And I'm getting to that because the point of how you improve your marriage without saying a word. Is coming up, but let's continue to work through this. So in Ephesians, the great passage of Scripture along with 1 Peter deals with marriage. I want you to look because there's actually three, four words that that are really important. First, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whenever I started working on this about three months ago, and I was looking at this passage of Scripture, and back in the 70s, at least that's when I heard it, you heard the word joy, and it was an acronym used for Jesus, others, and yourselves. Who remembers that? Jesus, others, and yourselves. That's how you find joy. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. And that's there's some good principles there. But you know how we've done it in marriage? We put ourselves first. I'm saying Christians put themselves first, Jesus second, and others third. And it is a formula for disaster in a marriage. In a marriage, especially... It should be God first, your spouse second, and you third. You think about most of the problems, most of the fights, most of the quarrels. We want something, but we're not getting it. So we're frustrated, and we're mad, and we're angry, and you don't love me, and you don't respect me, and you, you, you. Nobody is thinking about a spiritual principle that applies to every relationship, especially marital relationship, and that is submit. Submit yourselves out of your reverence for Christ. We do what we do in our relationships and our marriage out of our reverence. Literally are all in fear of Christ, who He is and what He wants for us. Therefore, out of reverence for Christ, I submit. Well, I don't like that word, submit. That's authoritative. I don't want someone being my boss. Christ submitted Himself for us all. We, as Christians, are to be submissive, To all. But especially a unique way that Paul talks about here that needs no apologies. Submit yourself to everyone. It affects every relationship. And if you put yourself before another person, that's why There's so many issues and so many quarrels and so many fights. You didn't do this for me. You let me down here. You failed me there. Because the expectation is that someone is supposed to be serving you. We're going to look at a verse here in a minute. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Tell me that's not the definition and the example of submitting. Here's what the word literally means. Both meanings are true, but the first is the word was a Greek military term meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So you you join the military, you go to boot camp, they send you somewhere to be in service and you're put under the authority of other leaders. And you sort of willingly chose to do that when you signed up, but you might not willingly like who you're under. And you probably, in some cases, wouldn't willingly put you under that captain or that sergeant, but this is the military meaning. But look at the non-military meaning. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So this text, with this word submit, that we are to do for everyone, as we look at Christ, the great example, but especially in the lives of our marriages as husband and wives, you can't get away from the fact that wives, submit yourselves to your own Husbands, as you do what? To the Lord. The Lord is first in your life, wife. Your husband, you said, is more important to you than any other person in this world. And will you willingly, voluntarily align yourself under him? Oh, I know that sounds horrid in this world we live in. And I know that a man or a woman in any circumstance can absolutely abuse what I'm saying. My grandmother and grandfather had 53 years of marriage. He never asked her what kind of car he was going to buy. He just went out and bought it. When it was time for a new couch, she just went out and bought the couch and brought it in. She liked it, she liked it, and if she didn't, she didn't, but she didn't even have a driver's license. She couldn't go anywhere without him. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, but I am saying there's a spiritual principle here. That about the time you say, Oh, my wife, yeah, the woman's got to submit to the husband. She's got to voluntarily align herself under her husband. Well The previous verse has already told us we submit to everyone. We all voluntarily are aligning ourselves under each other so that what is best for them in their spiritual progress to draw closer to the Lord is accomplished. And yes, either or can abuse it and taint it. And that's normally what happens because we are not in reverence to Jesus Christ. I would say most every marriage. Could be made a great marriage. At least a good marriage. If those espousing to be followers of Christ. Lived in reverence to Christ. But we don't. And then we think. Can we do this marriage series? Can we watch this video series can we read love and respect can we go through the five lung love languages because my love language is i'm a giver i give you things and you should know that i love you but oh we just found out getting a gift isn't your love language yours is intimacy you like to hold hands and talk and walk and have We could do all that stuff, and there's a place for all that stuff. But your marriage can improve, be made what God wants it to be without you saying one word. Your relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a mom or dad has the potential to be improved if you will just, as a Christian out of reverence for your Lord, serious tone, submit. Willingly put yourself under. And if that sticks in your mouth and is sour, God help you look to His Word because it is His Word. And The reason that you are facing the problems that you are facing is because you're trying to do it your way. And your way is not in God's word, and therefore it's outside of God's will, and it's not being blessed. And everybody besides yourself and your spouse, your friends, are having the fallout too. You can improve your marriage without saying a word. By having reverence for Christ and submitting to one another, putting yourself second, third. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ. No, we don't. Christ comes second. We do it our way and say, God bless our mess. Fix my problem. Save me for myself. I want your marriage to be everything that God wants it to be. And I've got to experience that for so many years that sometimes I take it for granted until I have premarital or marital counseling. And then I'm more serious about I really need to be thankful for what I've got here. I need to pick some flowers along the road when I go home or I've got to do some more things, leave a note here and there. Do some things, but don't talk. Just just do them. We, we talk things to death. We talk ourselves into the ditch. We talk ourselves. Just do it. Just do it. Quit talking and just do it. But start out of reverence for Christ. Start with, Lord, I love you with all my heart with all my mind, with all my strength, with all of my soul. You are first in my life. I'm surrendered. I give it all to you. It's easy for me to bow down and submit to your lordship in my life. And whatever station life we are in, knowing that we are equal before God, that we are all loved by God, that God has a special role for us in his creation, we find that place and we live it out with joy and happiness. And if someone abuses it, shame on them. In Malachi chapter 2, we learn that men were marrying women and their lives were helter-skelter and disasters and they're going to the temple and they're crying, it says. And the priests were crying. Oh God, you're not hearing us. Oh God, you're not answering our prayer. What's going on? God said, I was there on the day that you got married. In the old sermons, dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God, family members and friends. We are gathered here in the sight of God. When you said your wedding vows, God was there. That's what God is saying in Malachi. I was there. You pledged your vows to the wife of your youth and you're dishonoring her. And yet you're calling on me to bless your life. I'm not going to bless your life because it's outside of my will, because it's outside of my word, I'm not going to bless it. Turn to me. Keep the convictions that you had on the day that you stood before the minister and said, I do. Now this is a pet peeve maybe. I don't think it's too much of a pet peeve. I'm just going to throw out some personal things. This isn't from the Lord. weddings, it doesn't matter really what venue you get married, an apple orchard, a grape orchard, cherry trees blooming, church building is wonderful. But a wedding ceremony should encompass the values of God's presence being there and a holy and a sacred moment where the two people are becoming one. And most don't anymore. I've just gotten to a place like, even in my life, it's like, I'll do your premarital. We can talk about the marriage, but is this going to be okay to share the things of God as create And... If not, I, can't, I just, I, I want to help you. I don't want to be like I'm a, a better than, but I, I can't get up there and mimic things and say things that you don't care about so that you have me to. God is here. And whether you think God's there or not, God is there. He was there, and He's watching. And He doesn't bless. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feel and they care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So the four words, submit, reverence, love, and respect. And respect and submit and reverence, they're they're very close in meaning. Husbands, Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ laid down His life for the church. Right? Didn't He die for the church to be created? He he sacrificed Himself. Husbands, if your wives are willingly submitting to you often doing so even when you feel inadequate, but you're trying because you love the Lord. You are called to lay down your lives for them. That don't take anything in terms of words. It just takes laying down your life for them, sacrificing for them, doing for them, putting their needs ahead of your needs. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There is the epitome of submission and reverence to God the Father. Listen to Peter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats didn't strike out, was quiet. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you are healed. So I close part one of improving your marriage without saying a word, by saying... The key ingredient is your submission to Jesus Christ, your reality of putting God truly first in all things and putting your spouse before yourself. Even if you don't think they deserve it, even if you don't think they've earned your respect, even if you don't think they've acted like you've loved them, whoever it is, the man or woman, your greatest goal at improving any relationship, even the marriage, is submission and reverence to Christ. Without it, a good marriage will not be better and a bad marriage will not be good And probably will go from bad to worse. Who wants to live in a house with a bad roommate? Don't we want to live in a house under a roof where there is love and passion and intimacy and commitment under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Do that. And watch the blessings of God flow into your relationships. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we just ask that you will allow your word, your spiritual principles for marriage and relationships to speak to us, that we would reevaluate where we are in our relationship, that we know, Lord, that you have called us to remain married for life. To not give up. To not quit. We know that happens. We know, Father, how messy it can be. And we know there's forgiveness in that. And we thank you for that. But Lord, where we are now, let us focus on you. And we do this in reverence and submission. May your hand be on those, Lord, that will put you first in their marriages. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we're just going to ask that uh, you sort of sit and have a private prayer time with yourself about your marriage, the relationship you might be in, that isn't God-honoring and what God would have you do. We have prayer teams that's going to be up front, in the back, that can talk and pray with you or guide you through what your next step might need to be but there are people here that have struggled in these areas and so as we sing and worship the lord may you pray and cry out to God